This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hello and welcome to the program today. The nun Tupton children in a mind training teaching said, When we are the recipients of others' harsh speech, we need to recall that this is a result of our own actions. We created the cause, now the result comes. We put negativity in the universe and in our mind stream. Now it's coming back to us. There's no sense being angry and blaming anyone else if we were the ones who created the principal cause of our problem. It's a comment that Tupson Children made when talking about five results we can expect if we go about bad-mouthing others. In particular, in this comment she points out that by criticizing others, we are sending out negative energy and also planting negative seeds and tendencies on our own mind. Sooner or later, in this or another life, all that negativity will come back to bite us, and we will scream. But then, instead of blaming our own errant behavior, the root cause of our suffering, we tend to lay the fault with anybody or anything close to our mind at the time, and that creates even more negativity. So the next time we hear someone say bad things about us, we would do well to look at our own negative qualities for the cause. When last did I speak badly about someone else? And how often do I do that? We might be surprised by the answers we find to such questions. But it is in the answers to these questions that we will find the real reason why we are crying. Karma biting back was the last of the five results Tupton Chodron says come from speaking about the faults of others. The other four are that we are sowing seeds to become known as a busybody and people stop confiding in us, that we will find ourselves in trouble when the person we are talking about comes to hear about our fault-finding, that toxic environments can be created by people getting all stirred up on hearing about others' faults, and that fault-finding never brings lasting happiness and peace to our own minds. We covered all these briefly at the end of our last program, and today we will continue with Tupton Children's commentary, but before we do that, Let's think a little about motivation. What is your motivation for joining the program today? Is it just to fill in time or get some advantage in this life only? Those who have been with us before will know that we don't get much benefit with such motivations. They don't create much positive attention in our minds. However, concentrating on benefiting others brings much greater positive potential, and especially the mind of Bodhicitta that wishes to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings is the greatest motivation of all. Why? Because its focus is the greatest benefit for the most number of beings. So, if possible, let's make that our motivation for our time together today. But failing that, at least think of your own liberation from all dissatisfaction and suffering. Thank you. Now let's return to Tipton Children as we continue to discuss the mind training teachings as are found in Namkar Pal's text Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun. We've come to the section of the precepts of mind training and in particular the instruction don't speak of others' incomplete qualities. This basically means don't criticize others for as we've seen 
nothing good usually comes out of such behavior. We might feel superior for a short period of time, listing the faults of others, but the long-term effects are mostly in the nature of suffering. However, Tupton Chodron does say that in some instances it may be okay to speak about the faults of others. On tuptonchodron.org she says, There are a few situations in which seemingly speaking of others' faults may be appropriate or necessary. Although these instances closely resemble criticizing others, they are not actually the same. What differentiates them? Our motivation. Speaking of others' faults has an element of maliciousness in it and is always motivated by self-concern. Our ego wants to get something out of this. It wants to look good by making others look bad. On the other hand, appropriate discussion of others' faults is done with concern and or compassion. We want to clarify a situation, prevent harm or offer help. Let's look at a few examples. When we are asked to write a reference for someone who is not qualified, we have to be truthful, speaking of the person's talents as well as his weaknesses, so that the prospective employer or landlord can determine if this person is able to do what is expected. Similarly, we may have to warn someone of another's tendencies in order to avert a potential problem. In both these cases, our motivation is not to criticize the other, nor do we embellish her inadequacies. Rather, we try to give an unbiased description of what we see. Sometimes, we suspect that our negative view of a person is limited and biased, and we talk to a friend who does not know the other person, but who can help us see other angles. This gives us a fresh, more constructive perspective and ideas about how to get along with this person. Our friend might also point out our buttons, our defenses and sensitive areas that are exaggerating the other's defects so that we can work on them. At other times, we may be confused by someone's actions and consult a mutual friend in order to learn more about that person's background, how she might be looking at the situation, or what we can reasonably expect from her. Or we may be dealing with a person whom we suspect has some problems, and we consult an expert in the field to learn how to work with such a person. In both these instances, our motivation is to help the other and to resolve the difficulty. In another case, a friend may unknowingly be involved in a harmful behavior or act in a way that puts others off. In order to protect him from the results of his own blindness, we may say something. Here we do so without a critical tone of voice or a judgmental attitude, but with compassion, in order to point out his fault or mistake so he can remedy it. However, in doing so, we must let go of our agenda that wants the other person to change. People must often learn from their own experience. We cannot control them. We can only be there for them. She then talks about our underlying attitude and says, In order to stop pointing out others' faults, we have to work on our underlying mental habit of judging others. Even if we don't say anything to or about them, as long as we are mentally tearing someone down, it's likely we'll communicate that through giving someone a condescending look ignoring him in a social situation or rolling our eyes when his name is brought up in conversation. The opposite of judging and criticizing others is regarding their good qualities and kindness. This is a matter of training our minds to look at what is positive in others 
rather than what doesn't meet our approval. Such training makes the difference between our being happy, open and loving or depressed, disconnected and bitter. We need to try to cultivate the habit of noticing what is beautiful, endearing, vulnerable, brave, struggling, hopeful, kind and inspiring in others. If we pay attention to that, we won't be focusing on their faults. Our joyful attitude and tolerant speech that result from this will enrich those around us and will nourish contentment, happiness and love within us. The quality of our own lives thus depends on whether we find fault with our experience or see what is beautiful in it. Then she makes a particularly beautiful point that we could easily miss. She says, Seeing the faults of others is about missing opportunities to love. It's always about not having the skills to properly nourish ourselves with heartwarming interpretations as opposed to feeding ourselves a mental diet of poison. When we are habituated with mentally picking out the faults of others, we tend to do this with ourselves as well. This can lead us to devalue our entire lives. What a tragedy it is when we overlook the preciousness and opportunity of our lives and our Buddha potential. Thus, we must lighten up, cut ourselves some slack, and accept ourselves as we are in this moment, while we simultaneously try to become better human beings in the future. This doesn't mean we ignore our mistakes, but that we are not so pejorative about them. We appreciate our own humanness, we have confidence in our potential, and in the heartwarming qualities we've developed so far. What are these qualities? Let's keep things simple. They are our ability to listen, to smile, to forgive, to help out in small ways. Nowadays, we have lost sight of what is really valuable on a personal level and instead tend to look at what publicly brings acclaim. We need to come back to appreciating ordinary beauty and stop our infatuation with the high-achieving, the polished and the famous. Everyone wants to be loved to have his or her positive aspects noticed and acknowledged, to be cared for and treated with respect. Almost everyone is afraid of being judged, criticized and rejected as unworthy. Cultivating the mental habit that sees our own and others' beauty brings happiness to ourselves and others. It enables us to feel and to extend love. Leaving aside the mental habit that finds faults prevents suffering for ourselves and others. This should be the heart of our spiritual practice. And for this reason, His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, My religion is kindness. We may still see our own and others' imperfections, but our mind is gentler, more accepting and spacious. People don't care so much if we see their faults when they are confident that we care for them and appreciate what is admirable in them. Tipton Children then talks about the flip side of fault-finding. She says, The opposite of speaking of the faults of others is speaking with understanding and compassion. For those engaged in spiritual practice and for those who want to live harmoniously with others, this is essential. When we look at others' good qualities, we feel happy that they exist. Acknowledging people's good qualities to them and to others makes our own mind happy. It promotes harmony in the environment and it gives people useful feedback. Praising others should be part of our daily life and part of our Dharma practice. 
Imagine what our life would be like if we trained our minds to dwell on others' talents and good attributes. We would feel much happier and so would they. We would get along better with others and our families, work environments and living situations would be much more harmonious. We place the seeds from such positive actions in our mind stream, creating the cause for harmonious relationships and success in our spiritual and temporal aims. An interesting experiment is to try to say something nice to or about someone every day for a month. Try it. It makes us much more aware of what we say and why. It encourages us to change our perspective so that we notice others' good qualities. Doing so also improves our relationships tremendously. A few years ago, I gave this as a homework assignment at a Dharma class, encouraging people to try to praise even someone they didn't like very much. The next week, I asked the students how they did. One man said that the first day he had to make something up in order to speak politely to a fellow colleague. But after that, the man was so much nicer to him that it was easy to see his good qualities and speak about them. And that is Tipton Children. Now let's look at another more academic commentary. The book Buddhist Philosophy Essential Readings is a collection of 38 chapters, each with a different author commenting on some aspect of Buddhist philosophy taken from the writings of the Masters. The book contains chapters by some of the most erudite scholars of the various schools of Buddhism in the West. So, for instance, Professor J. Garfield examines the Four Noble Truths as explained in Nagarjuna's Fundamental Verses of the Middle Way. Professor Graham Parks authors commentary on Dogen's Mountains and Waters as Sutras. And Professor Peter Harvey writes An Approach to Knowledge and Truth in the Theravada Record of the Discourses of the Buddha. The chapters are divided into five parts. Metaphysics and Ontology, Philosophy of Language and Hermeneutics, Epistemology, Philosophy of Mind and the Person, and Ethics. Chapter 35 falls in this last section, Ethics, and is by Professor Jin Y. Park on Essentials on, the, on Observing and Violating the Fundamentals of Bodhisattva Precepts, one Hyo's Non-Substantial Mahayana Ethics. It has a section on when it's okay to praise oneself and find fault with others, and when not, as well as when one can safely disparage oneself and praise others or not. Now I know this applies particularly to those who are bound by the Bodhisattva ethics, but the explanation gives us a good guide on how it is not necessarily the action that dictates whether an instance of critical speech is positive or negative, but what is going on in the speaker's mind. Professor Park writes, Characteristics of the right and wrong are easy to get confused, and the nature of merits and offence is difficult to distinguish. A truly wicked intention can take the appearance of rightness, or a contaminated appearance and lifestyle can also contain genuine purity at its inner core. Or a work that seems to bring at least a small amount of merits might turn out to cause a great disaster. Or someone whose thoughts and activities seem profound might turn out to violate simple and minor things. And then, on praise and disparagement, he goes on to speak of four cases, which he describes as follows. But just a quick warning, the language is quite formal and a little complex, so needs a modicum of focused listening. So having prepared yourself, 
This is what the chapter says. In some situations, to speak ill of oneself and praise others results in merits, and to praise oneself and speak ill of others results in offense. In other cases, speaking ill of oneself and praising others turns out to be an offense, whereas praising oneself and speaking ill of others is a meritorious deed. There are also situations in which either disparaging oneself and praising others or praising oneself and disparaging others becomes either an offence or meritorious behaviour. And yet, there are situations in which neither disparaging oneself and praising others nor praising oneself and disparaging others turns out to be either meritorious behaviour or offence. So, this is more or less saying that praising self or fault-finding with others is not always bad, just as it is not always positive to demean oneself and praise others. He continues with examples showing what he's talking about. The first describes when it is good to disparage self and praise others. He writes, The first case is of a person with a deep sympathy for sentient beings. If such a person feels a deep sympathy for sentient beings receiving disgrace, wishes to transfer the disgrace of others to herself or himself, and thus transfer to others the credits she or he deserves, in this case, by this action, the person disparages herself or himself and praises others, which is meritorious behavior. However, if the person makes others receive disgrace, so that she or he would earn credits for those activities. The activity is interpreted as the case of praising oneself and disparaging others, and is an offence. Now what about a person who performs the same action, but with a different motivation, that of trying to get others to like or venerate him or her? Professor Park writes, The second is a case of a person who is aware of the trends in her or his time, that people hate those who praise themselves and speak ill of others, and respect those who humble themselves and who speak highly of others as a man of quality. This person thinks that if she or he disparages others, others will hurt her or him, but if she or he praises others, they will in turn benefit her or him. With this reasoning, if the person disparages herself or himself and praises others as a mean to get a high evaluation of herself or himself, this is a major offence. Then he talks about those who praise themselves and criticize others so as to properly spread the Dharma. He says, If someone praises oneself and is critical of others in an attempt to correct others who are attached to non-truth and by doing so to establish the teaching of the Buddha and benefit sentient beings, this is a great meritorious deed. And following on from this, he writes about someone who deceitfully runs down others' good qualities while hiding their own failings. Professor Park writes, The third is the case as follows. Suppose there is a person who has a strong deceptive nature. In an attempt to deceive people in the world, this person despises others' strong points and covers up his or her own weaknesses. For this purpose, the person employs deceptive language. She or he speaks ill of herself or himself by criticizing his or her good quality of small size as if they were defects and praises others' weaknesses as if they were their strong points. By doing so, 
the person promotes her or his many shortcomings as if they were virtue and suppresses others' strong points as if they were failings. He then proposes another case of someone who by criticizing him or herself and praising others creates a lot of positive potential. He writes, Also, suppose there is a person whose nature is straightforward, wishing to lead people in the world to the right path with the knowledge of how to distinguish the good from the evil, the person removes offense, cultivates merits, and speaks honestly without covering. When the person notices vice in him or herself, she or he will definitely denounce it. When the person hears the good deeds of others, she or he makes sure to praise it. This praise and disparagement and the advertisement and suppression of the first person are the offense of deception and flattery. The praise and disparagement and the promotion and condemnation of the second person merit the rewards for sincerity and honesty. And now he comes to the case of those who neither praise nor disparage themselves or others. He mentions two possibilities when he writes, The fourth is the case of a person of supreme integrity, whose character is unprejudiced, flexible, and whose spirit is tolerant, embracing, and undistorted. Because this person has limitless capacities in these aspects, the person puts disaster and good fortune together, making them one, without making distinctions between the subject self and the object others, the person makes them non-dual. The person's spirit always stays in happiness. Staying in such an ambience, the person neither disparages herself or himself, nor praises others, nor does she or he promote herself or himself or suppress others. And suppose there is a person with low integrity, whose nature is dull, who is not capable of distinguishing right from wrong and who cannot tell beans from barley. The person is not attentive to what makes good or what makes evil. Because the person's thoughts constantly stay in confusion, the person forgets both love and hatred and does not humble herself or himself or beautify others. The person does not promote herself or himself or disgrace others. This person, however, commits the offense of confusion of the low integrity, whereas the earlier case creates merits through the simplicity of high wisdom. This is what is meant by evaluating offense or merits through four cases. The first two cases demonstrate the situation in which seemingly meritorious behaviors can turn into serious disasters and the act of offense can eventually result in great goodness. The latter two cases are examples in which deceptive language and compassionate concern for others do not differ in appearance and the activities of those who have high integrity and base stupidity look the same. He goes on to say that positivity or negativity lies in closely examining the gain or loss of one's own action, and they do not lie in judging the virtue or vice of each movement of others. I hope that wasn't too confusing for you. And now, just to finish off the program today, let's visit a blog by Donna Labermeyer, in the Huffington Post, titled, Why Criticizing Others is a Lot More Harmful Than You Think. She highlights another aspect of finding fault in others that we easily overlook. Have you ever noticed how some people don't think twice before criticizing someone else, she asks, or how their tolerance level for ideas that are different from their own is practically non-existent, making them argumentative and easily angered? 
Well, the truth is, there will always be differences between us. And since I myself do not wish to criticize others, I must preface this by saying that I'm sure those folks are simply unaware of the repercussions of their behavior, or I'm certain they would not continue. Therefore, my goal is merely to point out that if in fact all is interconnected, meaning everything affects everything else, then perhaps we need to investigate why it's so important to consciously choose where we put our attention and how we spend our time. Are we finding fault and tearing down, or lifting up and helping to heal? She goes on to mention three ways in which criticism is more destructive than we can imagine. The first is negative energy. When you throw negative energy at another human being, you are hurting him or her, whether you realize it or not, she says. You have the ability to interfere with another's self-esteem and self-worth, which changes who they are and how they perceive the world around them. At the same time, you are throwing negative energy out into the universe for yourself. What you put out is what you get back. Would you want someone to do or say something to hurt you? Of course not. Everyone makes mistakes. Mistakes are necessary tools of wisdom and growth. If you truly feel that someone is wrong, then don't give them any energy. Focusing your attention on them only gives them more power. Then she talks about Psychology 101. She says, When you make derogatory statements about others, the centered people in the room know exactly who you're really talking about, yourself. When an individual lashes out at another, it's a defense mechanism. Their behavior is a product of feelings and issues they're trying to cope with that have nothing to do with the other person. It's a behavior that makes them appear less than. They're announcing to others that they are not centered and that there is an imbalance of harmony in their life which requires them to place blame somewhere else. The ego is at work here, and whenever the ego takes over, you can rest assured it is not going to be a positive experience. The ego only looks out for number one. It is self-centered, not centered in self. Big difference. Respect yourself by respecting others. Honor and love yourself, and you will never dishonor or hate another. And finally, she talks about collective consciousness. Are you adding to the awareness, enlightenment, and evolution of mankind by acting in a way that raises the vibration of the planet as a whole? Or are you sending us backwards by fueling lower vibrational energy, she asks. And she also asks whether we allow thoughts and words of anger and dissension to rule us, or do we uplift others and inspire hope for a peaceful future? Of course, there is much to put right in the world, but if we attack others with anger and violence, no matter how righteous we feel, aren't we just contributing to the planet's suffering? So for those who profess to stand strongly against the atrocities of humanity, put your passion to work by doing all that you can to come from a place of love and be of service to those in need of help, not from a place of anger towards their situation and hate for their oppressors. Donna Labermeyer says. And with that, our program must end today, for we've run out of time. Thank you so much for being with us, and I hope you'll tune in again next week. Please dedicate any positive potential we've created today to gaining enlightenment for the sake of all beings everywhere. Thank you, and goodbye. 
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.